HD Smartcast. You are listening to an HD Smartcast original. एक मिनट रुक जाओ रेडी होने दो चलो ये कर लेते हैं I just happened to find an employer who was building a remote team and working from home has actually boosted my career like never before. So, I am truly excited about this episode. Today, Akshadat is talking to the pioneer who introduced India to the power of women working in remote teams. Sairi Chehel, the founder of Sheroes. Sheroes is a platform for women who are heroes in their own right. Sairi built Sheroes as a safe haven for women on the internet, a place where they can be themselves, where they can learn, build careers, build businesses and make friends. Let us hear about the creation and journey of Sheroes. So Sari uh, I believe you grew up in Muzaffarpur so tell me about growing up in uh, like a tier 2 tier 3 town in Hindi heartland matlab wo experience pura kaisa tha Bilkul so actually Muzaffarnagar not Muzaffarpur although dono mein zyada fark nahi hai pehle hame malum nahi tha ki tier 2 aur tier 3 kya hota hai ab thoda bahut blogs padh padh ke pata chal gaya hai you know life was very different back then ek to टेक्नोलॉजी नहीं थी इंटरनेट नहीं था दूरदर्शन हुआ करता था बुक्स वर द ओनली रियल मीन्स ऑफ इंफॉर्मेशन यू हैड सो लाइफ वॉज स्लो आई थिंक एंड लाइफ डोट हैव मेनी ऑप्शन स्टील इंडस्ट्री इंजीनियर ही बेसिकली एक्सपैंड एंड रेनोवेट स्टील प्लांट्स माई मम इज अ होम मेकर नाउ बट शी इज अ रेवल्यूशनरी in her south she was the first girl in an all boys school uh, then she went to do a lot of work with family planning association of india so uh, more more active and more liberal of the two parents but my dad sort of gave me a lot of things that i still carry you know with me today you know, reading as a habit you know finding finding time for walks and yourself having a very large professional circle so these are things i think i sort of got from my dad and my dad's a quiet person my mom is a very talkative person so uh, and i'm a mix of both so i think it's uh, interesting how you pick up i have a younger sister who's complete opposite of who i am we we used to fight a lot when we were kids and easy chabar but uh, now we don't live together she lives in bangalore i live in delhi so what were like your childhood dreams while growing up like what did you think you'd grow up to be right so i I definitely knew what I didn't want to be. I think first of all, so you know, when we were in school, me, so 
the competitive culture was at its peak. Sabko doctor banna hota tha ya engineer banna hota tha. And you know, in small town schools, didn't even have like the liberal arts stream. Like arts was for losers. Hmm. This was which decade? This is nineties, ninety four. So I was very clear ki doctor nahi banna hai aur engineer nahi banna hai. Or kuch karna hai. Like I think that was the growing up sentiment. Uh, in fact, I remember I had a diary where I'd written a bunch of things what I wanted to be. So it included every researcher, social scientist, writer, entrepreneur. bunch of things that were not doctors and engineers so and i think given how much i've experimented bahut papad bele and bahut sari cheeze kare hain life mein so i think some of them have come true now and uh, when i was a kid i remember setting up library for the children in the colony because i thought sab log bore ho rahe hain so i put, i collected books from all over mostly mine and some from my friends and we started renting books it was called SNJC library. <laughs> yeah, so okay. that's me and my sister's name basically. And I think one of those sentiments when I was growing up was that life needs to be more. You know, this ये canvas छोटा है and मतलब वो वो एक feeling है the the need to show and the need to sort of like expand your horizons sentiment बहुत clearly मुझे you know like I've carried it with me. I think इनसाइड मी फॉर लॉन्ग टाइम तो मुझे वो फीलिंग याद है पहले जाना चाहती थी So went to JNU, started working very early on. I think the big change in my life happened because I started working very very early, and so by the time I had finished my masters, I had already worked for like four years. So which course did you join in JNU? I have a masters in Russian literature. So how did you start working in JNU? You were staying on the campus only. Yeah, yeah I was on the campus, and I stumbled upon what became my first assignment, and I think once. Once you start working, then you know it's like taste of blood. You can't stop it, you know. And I think once your network gets, you know, word gets out. Uh, so my first assignment was actually giving tuitions to this couple in Ministry of External Affairs. They used to come every week to campus to take Russian lessons from me. You know, it was nice money for that time. It was nice, you know, nice to sort of you know spend your time doing something else. And because I did that one assignment, everybody in MEA knew that this is the person to go to for tuitions if you got posted to Moscow. So you know that happened, and uh, because MEA knew me, then embassies got to know me. Once embassies knew me, then you know, like you know, this whole ecosystem is quite small again. You know, ministry and uh, other people who work in close coordination with with the ministry. So I did a bunch of odd jobs: translation, PR, writing. Tuition, whatever research, never came my way. Whatever paid, but you know, kind of set the tone for professional living. Your expectations go up, and you were, when you're working with you know the government and ambassadors, then you obviously sort of learn the learn the business. You know, the decorum you you learn it much earlier, much faster. And by the time I got out of uh, junior, I actually didn't get out. I enrolled for my info. 
but by the time i finished my uh, my masters i again stumbled upon what became my first startup so built a company back in the day 99 we set out to build uh, what became world's first newspaper for mariners we built a company called blank services uh, basically kya hota hai ki merchant navy ships pay uh, you know there about 30 40000 merchant navy ships that sail on any given day and every ship has you know about 25 30 nationalities right so sailors come from you know developing world india philippines and poland and sailor depression is a big industry problem because there is no news from them we are away cut out on the sea for many months on end so we built a product where we would stream everyday news and sort of curate it a bit put it in a country edition so india would get a indian edition and our filipino would get a filipino edition and so on once a day we would get a satellite to sailing ships would download this on the deck printed on and then distributed to sailors so sailors started getting the news every day and beginners luck kelo i have no idea about the shipping business i had never been on a ship this was somebody else's idea somebody else's money but really nice I I think he was kind enough to give me a chance he took a you know shot what was the monetization uh, strategy here like were the sailors paying for it or I mean how did you make money in this so the shipping companies would pay so um we baad mein pata chala isko saas kehte hain but basically uh, we would sell via shipping companies uh, we had a sales office in cyprus and a production office in delhi तो हम शिपिंग कंपनी I didn't know any of this, but learned on the job, learned on the go, worked really, really hard. I think harder than anybody else can. And yeah, and then left it after four years. After uh, the company got acquired, it was up and running during twenty-five, twenty-six editions. So, मतलब जितना काम तक किया. So, did you make money when it got acquired? Like, how how significant was your stake in it? So, look, uh, I didn't invest a lot of money in it. I was I was the founding team. so i didn't make a lot of money or you know any significant money but i was better off than my peers so that was good enough so around 2003 or 4 it must have got acquired yes yes then i about uh, got married uh, worked uh, started working with the cii a little bit uh, i still had my russia roots so started working on the russia set up the russia office this time pe vajpay government hua karti thi took the vajpayee government delegation to moscow there was this big president putin vajpayee summit which we set up bahut maze kiye you know moscow mein trip kataya aur and what was your husband doing at this time uh, my husband is a journalist okay okay so did you like meet uh, on the job types or it was just coincidence uh, not really i i was doing a small stint at a company called ann before newslink uh and uh, he used to work for the bangalore office of the same company but we never worked together he's always wonder who is this person 
So that's how I met him. And then worked with CIR, fun, fun assignment. Hung out with the Russians, had lots of vodka, lots of fun. And then Moscow, life was good. I think. Uh, but CIR was very slow. After New Zealand, CIR was like a, you know, nice little sabbatical, to be honest. From the pace and the freedom. I think startups, mein na, uh, you get spoiled. Aapko, you don't ask anyone for anything anymore. Because startups are not going But CIA is a world organization. Anyway, so did that. And then um, quit in about a year's time, year and a half. And then started working with uh, this company called Hydric and Struggles, which is a leadership consulting firm. Did again about a year, year and a half of that. Uh, really good job, very well paying job. But Lord, I still feel that that was the least amount of work I did for the max amount of money I made very large organization 64 offices worldwide kind of organization uh, you know like leadership styles were very different so didn't see myself sort of so moved on from that as well okay then what next yeah and then I set up my first my first company called Saita Consulting to work with tech startups you know by this time the First Series A and, you know, Dockery had happened, Make My Trip had happened, India Mart had happened, 197 was there. So, uh, you know, I think the entrepreneurial scene was beginning to happen in India. And uh, this is 2005. So I set up in 2006 and then worked with a bunch of tech startups to, you know, help them put things in place, systems, processes, SOPs, things that you need to do for scale as a founder, but incentive they're not revenue generating, they're not IP generating, but they need to do that. So did that uh, for five years uh, and then set up Shiro's. Okay. So uh, what was the genesis behind Shiro's? Like, uh, why did you decide to set it up and uh, so you shut down that uh, consulting business Saita Consulting no no I quit I left it to my partner and moved out of it and then uh, set up Cheetos look the genesis of Cheetos was really really simple that you know I, I had practically seen internet grow in India you know from let's say 99 onwards to let's say 2010 you know ecosystem came alive in you know in those 10 years right like I, I grew up in small towns. I knew women never had a voice. But there was a lot of things. It was like, tier 2, hai, tier 3. Hai. But I always felt that women also are not represented adequately online. And we internet se fayda utha sakte, utha utha That was the fundamental thought. But, uh, and of course, you know, uh, by this time, I I worked for a long time, I'd worked across organizations, I'd built my own experience. And I always felt that, you know, I mean, and of course, all our uh, academic, if you look at it, you know, with an academic lens, all our numbers don't add up either. Women in workforce numbers, uh, women in leadership numbers, reproductive health numbers. It's a, we are really the bottom of the pack. And so she was set up fundamentally to help more women uh, keep their careers and grow in their careers. So the first version of Shiro's was a jobs and careers community for women. 
and the idea was that internet is such a great you know thing to happen to us and we must use it to have you know to make sure more women are connected to workforce and more women have careers and they can make a living and this is obviously this is 2014 2013 2014 and india had maybe 10 million women online at that one time mostly in metros you know the number of women online was less than half much but so we built a product for that you know so it was a full fledged career community there were resources there were companies there were our peers there were mentors there were you know there was a full stack of a career community and women could get a lot of support look for look for work find flexible work find advice you know whatever helped them keep their careers flexi moms uh, and zeros was the same stint only or uh, these were two different stints so flexi moms was while we were still at saita so it was really set out as a small experiment but not really as a separate business at that point so there was a question to say aapko kya what do you want to do you want to run a boutique business ya fir aapko consumer internet you know so shiro was a brand new start in the same category but flexi was a much smaller experiment flexi moms was what exactly so flexi moms is honestly a very simple experiment that went viral so you know one day at saita we basically said let's put up a platform where women can you know find flexible work and companies can talk to them so uh, we got a developer in noida to make a very simple website with two forms on it that was flexi moms but because we were the first and i think very very uh, early in the game and i think flexi moms se pehle uh, if you looked up flexible work or work from home or you know back to work these things didn't exist and most of the internet was very scammy you know you, you would get all these get rich quick scams and uh, things like that we were the first ones to go to corporates you know the big corporates mahindra's and tata's to sort of get them to sign up and i think that sort of triggered triggered a whole wave you know and that's what inspired us to also set out you know to build heroes in a real real way you know so flexmos was an experiment that went viral and uh, it was really like the result of that okay so you started shiros as a career destination um, and this was monetized by the employers i assume they would have paid for listing jobs yes yes so listing jobs hiring women services everything so uh, what kind of services uh, diversity you know policies programs back to work programs events you know things around women's career did that uh, you know for about 3 years worked well uh, we had about 20000 companies you know there was a time when nokri used to be number 1 and linkedin and us used to be between number 2 and number 3 so uh, it was nice uh, nice for our ego so as heroes we've always run a helpline which is uh, how women could talk to us you know pehle wo phone line hua karta tha wo chat helpline ban gaya but uh, that helpline always existed and what we realized was that women coming to us are changing matlab pehle daily phone se mahila aake baat karti thi ab sab sab jagah se aa rahi hain aur sab tarah ki baat kar rahi they not just talking to you so clearly uh, all in hindsight jio uh, was happening whatsapp was happening uh, different new wave of users were getting on so we really came back to the drawing board to say wow you know this is something we wouldn't have really imagine when we first set out but look it's happening here right here 
So 2018, we rebooted Shiro's relaunched as as the social network for women. And the idea was to one, build for a larger base and two, build for more than one use case. So it's a network of communities built around interests of women and women can build their own communities. So it's just, it's a safe space for women to find whatever they might be looking for. Looking for work, looking for advice, looking for a safe space, looking for, uh, looking to hang out, looking to share content, looking to set up a shop online, looking to buy and sell, you know, looking to post recipes. So, you know, so it's a, it's a community of women, only women, uh, where they can do a bunch of things. It's their social network. I have multiple questions to ask you before we move uh, ahead in the story. So uh, you had uh, a helpline uh, in the previous Avatar of Shiro's. What was the business case for that helpline? I mean, this was like a free service to women. Uh, what was the reason behind doing that? Or No, it's, look, uh, there is no business case. So helpline is not a monetized product. It's it's a feature. It's a feature. It's a service we offer. But the way I look at it is the headline is a way for us to learn about the market. You know, women's internet is a new category, right? Most people don't even think it's a category. But the truth is, we will see in our lifetime a generation of product being built online only for women. Okay? And I think Shiro's will have like a significant stake in that story. But uh, the helpline, the helpline is a way to understand users. And it's also... It's a huge data engine uh, for us to draw insights and trends. And the helpline is also a way for us to build trust. One of the reasons women use internet less and less is because it's a low trust environment. And uh, we want to make sure that trust is maintained at all times. You know, and the helpline is basically a, a seeding of trust as, as we know it. And uh, we don't charge for it. It still runs, by the way. In the COVID era, we're using it to help people, you know, resolve their anxiety issues, or violence issues. Uh, over 2 million queries have been answered, you know, on that line. So it's kind of, you know, it's a, it's a piece for community support. It's not a business case. But uh, I imagine that would have been quite expensive to run, no? You would need, like, a lot of agents who would be answering these calls and... So actually not calls, uh, counselors. Uh, and it's a chat helpline. So only for a period in time, it was a agent uh, and we had a phone line. In fact, those were the days when I used to personally answer the three of us who would take turns to keep the company phone. But uh, uh, no, it's a counseling helpline. There are verified ca- counselors available to talk to you, you know, nine to five. Working hours, you can, you can speak to a counselor. It still runs. Uh, it is an investment. But uh, we think it's an investment that's worth it, you know. And from what we get in the helpline, I think uh, it's totally worth it. And also, you know, it also depends on the business strategy. You know, Shiro's has never been a push strategy. We have nothing to sell. We don't do incessant advertising. We don't do retargeting. We don't tell people to download our app. We just don't do any of that stuff that we like ourselves. So our, our users can reach out to us and talk to us. And we appreciate that. Okay. And uh, my second question is, uh, why did you shut down the job posting? I mean, these could have existed in parallel also, uh, like a social network and a job site. No, no, no. I think it's a very impossible situation. And I'll tell you why. The 
the job seeker is the most unfaithful user in the world. Okay, they have no intention to come back. You know, nobody wants to go back to a job site. Okay, I mean, even though we built a Lego community, and uh, the other thing that we wanted to do was, so we still run a workforce business today, but it's an enterprise business. We changed the model. We, in fact, now we help more women find work than we ever did. Uh, but the job posting business was a very low, low trust business because you could post a job and you can apply for a job, but as a as a company, you would not have a hire, and as a person, you would not have a job. You know, because there was nobody who was sort of making sure this was happening, or nobody was curating that experience, nobody was owning the stack, right? So the job board model is a highly inefficient model, and uh, and there's no way it can exist in a community setting for two reasons. One, the kind of users who come to us are not traditional job seekers anymore. They're micro entrepreneurs, they're first-time internet users, they're tier two, three, four, five users. They use vernacular. They're not all English speakers. And two, uh, look, jobs in India haven't grown. The footprint of women in the workforce has actually shrunk. It's not increased because as jobs don't grow, women are not going to get the replacement jobs. You know, those are held by men and they continue to be held by men. You know, and unfortunately, that's where we are, you know. And uh, so between the two, and I think also from a product thesis, you know, you have to sort of own the thesis of the product. Uh, If you want to build a social network, there's no way you can build a job site with it. I think they're very contradictory and uh, their design fundamentally is very, very divergent. So you do have uh, LinkedIn as an example where you know community and jobs both exist side by side um so i mean you know there is yeah but a linkedin user is a corporate user our user is very diverse user right and it does it can exist but linkedin is actually i mean i don't think the job seekers are personally enhancing the experience of linkedin for most of us right so i mean yes it's a great tool for uh for um, you know going out and looking for work but I think the context is very, very different. You know, in our context, it, it, it didn't fit in. And, you know, also from the design of the product, what are we trying to do today? I think the direction we are going, we are, we are working on is super, super massy and it's super high engagement. Jobs somehow don't allow it. Even at LinkedIn scale, which is global, you know, you have everybody in the corporate world, uh, you know, you can't be somebody who's a, Who's a small player in a very large category? You know, if you're a social network and you're a job site, and then you're a subset of that, it's you're really left with nothing by by end of the day, right? Please, and we were a job site. At least we were a formidable, formidable job site, right? I mean, LinkedIn would look at us, but uh, you try to do both. That that's just a loss of focus. Uh, so uh, once you decided to pivot to a social network, what was the monetization strategy then? Right. So look, the monetization strategy in social networks is very hard. But uh, the thesis is that women are the the best internet users there are. Everybody wants to sort of reach out to women. And two, women themselves are high engagement users. And what we uh, wanted to do was set up an ecosystem that we can build and monetize over a period of time. So we have, uh, uh, you know, three, three things that are sort of pillars of this. Uh, we, we, we have Workforce, which is a, an enterprise business we run today. We have uh, Brands, which is 
uh, you know, a business uh, that kind of, uh, you know, is helping us scale the platform as well. And then we have uh, peer-to-peer commerce, which is, you know, women using the platform to buy and sell, you know, amongst themselves, not not selling to us or buying from us. So that's, that's the, that is the whole thing. Okay. Uh, and could you tell me more about each of these, like how they're performing and like, you know, contribution to top line and uh, if you can share some numbers also. Right. So a commerce business is, the, is, is only three months old, but uh, it's doing, uh, my sense is that it will overtake everything else that we've put in place so far. We have a workforce business, which is actually our... So the commerce business is, uh, sorry, on the commerce business only. So uh, essentially anybody could list a product and the, uh, you would take care of the payments, uh, but not the logistics or the logistics also, like how would it no. operate? So basically, uh, you know, uh, have you heard of a uh, platform called Poshmark? Uh, no, sorry. Poshmark <laughs> is a peer-to-peer platform. So... Uh, basically think social content plus selling so first there is a lot of social content around what you want to sell so it's not a listings platform it's not an olx it's more of a poshmark if you will or there's an app called red in china that's again so content driven sales if you will and and some features to to uh folks who are building content and conversations to monetize that sale right to either close that transaction or to uh, you know list uh, to, to acquire a customer and as we grow what we do is we are we are basically offering a bunch of tools to women on the network to set up their online shops and helping them inventory from other brands so b2c brands we are the silent platform here and uh, we don't do logistics or you know anything offline but uh, we do bring on board uh, b2c brands we bring on board uh, a lot of people who want to distribute using the network. And then we enable women who want to be micro entrepreneurs who want to have their online shop. Okay. And uh, what is the uh, the workforce business about? Right. So the workforce business is a simple business. Basically, it's funny that everybody is talking about remote work now. And uh, women always wanted to work from home, but it was always frowned upon. But uh, what we did was we created a remote work certification. So women had to sort of set themselves up as a ready-to-work remotely worker. Uh, and we sort of uh, put them on on jobs that came from large companies, but in a scalable operational sort of a way. So imagine running social media processes for a flip card or a mentor, or imagine running back-end for a, for a video or a black card. Uh, so large-scale operational SLA, SLA-driven process processes for uh, for companies that 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 had typically technology enabled stacks right so new school uh, companies that that are scaling fast and don't want to invest offline so that whole piece is managed by shiros uh, the businesses for mars managed remote solutions uh, you can look it up at marsbyshiros.com uh, it, it's a, a enterprise business uh, and work with some really cool companies there. About 10,000 women work via this and now we are seeing huge surge in this demand. Right. Okay. Uh, what, what kind of revenue does that do, the work, for, if you're comfortable sharing? Let's not put revenue out there. There are VCs out there. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Okay. And and the brand's business? Yeah. So the brand's business is basically brands building their presence on the Shiro's platform. So building their Communities per se. So 
most consumer brands or any brands that want to sell to consumers financial services fmcg appliances consumer durables uh, you know all these brands have certain needs the need for insights the need for sampling the need to you know talk to users the need for engagement uh, the need to create awareness a lot of things which are not abundant right or direct say so uh, we work with brands in creating solutions using this heroes platform for that so typically a brand would invest in creating a community we would help them set up scale according to their business objectives so uh, yeah so there we work with a bunch of brands uh, you know some large brands some small brands and uh, yeah so that's a whole brands business okay okay so you've had uh, three rounds of funding so far at cheers could you tell us about that journey like how did you do the first fundraise and was it very difficult to convince vcs about the zero story and the subsequent rounds and right so look i think the first time we raised money was actually uh, i have to say uh, we had some of the best backers in town uh, you know so when i set up the company i i put in my savings and vijay shekhar matched it he was the first investor in the company Uh, Rajan was the second investor. Then Benny Bansal was the third investor. So how how did uh, how did they come on board? Like, what was that process like? Or or is it like you had a relationship existing and therefore that built the trust? Or did you pitch to them? Or you know what was that process like? So look, I'd known most of them. Vijay Shikhar I've known for many years. Uh, you know, and Benny I'd known. Uh, Rajan I'd known as well. Uh, you know, in fact, Rajan. Uh, was the person who encouraged me to raise money faster than I should, uh, you know. So uh, yeah, even before Shiroz was set up, he was kind of committed. So these guys were super helpful. Then Raghav Bahel was an early investor, uh, again somebody I'd known from my professional life, and Girish from Freshworks, uh, Indus Kiran, Krishna Mehra, Paymanjit Startup, and uh, yeah, and then. Um, Yeah, we sort of sort of uh, raised money. Then we raised uh, uh, another institutional round. Uh, but most of the money we raised was when we were a workforce business, uh, and we raised a little when we are a consumer business. It's kind of strange, but that's true. <laughs> Look, I think uh, uh, none of these guys are VCs, and they the reason we set up Shiro's was because there's a very real. a problem in the room and there's a real uh, story there's a real challenge here uh, as a you know as a society as a country as an economy everybody gets it uh, it's uh, i think from a problem statement point of view it's slam dunk uh, and i think uh, people were kind enough to sort of come on board because they know that uh, you know i'm committed to it but uh, at the same time i think every investor is not for every startup and not every startup is feasible for every investor so uh, you know venture has its venture as an asset class you know and an lp gp model is a very uh, uh, it's a very uh, lean model it doesn't apply itself to a lot of business situations right or a lot of cases and the return expects is obviously very very different uh you know from any regular asset class so i think uh more than anything it's it's just the fitment of 
of the asset class, right? That, uh, you know, so VC is not a fit for everyone. We have uh, raised VC money, uh, just for your reference. We have Leo Capital uh, as an investor. We have Lumis Partners uh, as an investor. But uh, clearly, uh, you know, I think uh, the, the cases of the VCs matter a lot. And we do think we don't apply to, we, we, we're not a traditional VC playbook. We aren't FinTech, we aren't growth. Hmm. Okay. Uh, so, you know, I think something which uh, you are probably intrinsically very good at is networking and building a network. And to some extent, uh, even your business is about building a network and to do networking. And I've seen that uh, a lot of women hesitate to do networking. And, you know, if you were to make a list of uh, top 100 people who are good at networking and maybe 10 or 20 of them would be women and 80 of them would be men. So what is the secret to networking? You know, how do you build your personal network and uh, really, because it opens a lot of doors for you. And so, you know, do you have advice on that? Right. So I always say, don't think of a network when you need it, right? Like you have to build a network before you need it. And maybe you'll never need it. I think you have to intrinsically enjoy the process, you know. I personally enjoy meeting people. I genuinely enjoy them. I don't care whether I get something from them or not. I'm happy to help, but I really don't have an agenda to networking, right? I mean, um, I'm happy talking to people for who they are and what they're building. I'm curious to learn about their journeys. So I think networking is really not an outcome-based process, you know, and you don't know what what will work for you? What will transpire? I think uh, you have to leave uh, uh, some scope for serendipitous encounters to happen, right? So I think I never sort of really thought of this as networking all throughout until people started telling me that you network. And I'm like, okay, this is what you call it these days. Because, you know, one of most of my jobs were such where I had to meet a lot of people, right? From the time when I was you know, helping EMEA out and Bessies out, to working with CII, to working with, you know, consulting firm, to running my own business. Each of these jobs required a lot of relationships, right? So uh, it took a period of time before they got built. And uh, and I built them with, you know, a sense of you know, doing them with joy, right? Because, you know, these were people you worked with or people you interacted with or people you came in touch with. So, uh, Honestly, it was done much lightly uh, than what it seems like today. And, uh, uh, you know, and given a choice, I wouldn't sort of, even today, I wouldn't sort of step out to sort of network uh, unless, you know, I'm excited about the conversation we're going to have or unless there is, you know, really uh, something that that's interesting, you know, that's happening. So for me, networking was never networking. It was just sort of uh, enjoying, you know, uh, talking to people and working with them all along. And I do think uh, as women, we are kind of not encouraged to do this. I think a little bit of why this comes naturally to me is because I spent most of my childhood hanging out with my dad who who was in sales and marketing. He always had, you know, visitors from all over the world, you know, come in, drop in for lunch, drop in for dinner, and those days there were no mobile phones. We always entertained and we had guests at home and I would always not, you know, when my dad was having business conversations. And I learned to enjoy him a lot. 
like I really enjoyed the adult conversations and it made me feel like wow this is so exciting and I think uh, and I still enjoy it I enjoy meeting people and having you know talking to them about their work and their interests and you know what they want to do and you know things they've learned uh, so I think I seem to have carried that you know away from my dad but as women, these are not things that, you know, we're kind of encouraged to do. We are not even encouraged to talk to other men, you know, for that matter. And uh, and as women do have to make that extra effort, you know. you know. And I do think that, um, uh, but if you're going to have a career and if you're going to be, you know, building a business, you do need some amount of this done uh, freehand. Like this should be part of the curriculum. This should be part of growing up years to say to be able to build relationships with people. You know, before you meet them, before you have a use case, before you know there's a fire. You know, popular people for for the sake of conversation. Uh, networking is something which I personally also. I think don't consider myself to be very good at. I'm somewhat of an introvert, uh, and so you know, can you give me advice? Like, how do I? convert a one-off meeting into some some sort of a long-term relationship so say for example today we are meeting for uh, the first time and we had a chat for about an hour uh, but what next you know i mean how does this get converted into uh, like an asset for me as a long-term relationship so i think first of all you just sort of break the framework of like this should work for me you know you don't know which one is going to work for you, right? But there are some you will genuinely enjoy, and there are some you won't, right? You have to also find your tribe, right? You have to find a tribe of people you care about, or you wouldn't mind spending time with, or people you wouldn't mind working with, or people you wouldn't mind on your cap table, right? So, you know, so the way I look at it is that uh, it really depends on who you are and what you enjoy. Like, I really prefer one-on-one conversations to, like, large gatherings. So I, I'm happy to make time on my calendar and spend a real hour as opposed to, you know, exchanging cards. Like, I, you know, I think I would never do that. So, and then I think it's also following up on conversations, right? There's some people you have lots to chat with and there are some people you can't even find, like, you know, five lines of conversation. So I think there are clear sort of lines there on on what's a good fitment for you. Think of it in that manner. And uh, honestly, there's no playbook. And I wouldn't sort of even advise a playbook to network. I would really advise you to sort of loosen up and enjoy this a little more. Basically, talk to people you enjoy a lot more. And then find more of those people. Okay, so we've had a conversation. And maybe I would send you like a post-production version of it. But... You know, I would hesitate to really chat with you once the whole podcast is released. And I, I mean, I would think that, you know, why would you want to, for example, chat with me? And what is, so, you know, that hesitation kind of creeps in. And how do you overcome that? So, look, you don't have to always have a conversation. You can keep in touch. You can say this is going on. You can sort of participate. You can let other people know, at least people you find interesting, know about what you're working on. Like, I do this all the time. You know, uh, small, small things that we're working on. I'll send it to some of the friends I, I, you know, I think will enjoy, you know, whether it's a product beta release or whether it is, you know, an acquisition we made or something, right? Like, so I think it has to be contextual, right? And I'm sure there are common threads, shared interests. It could be like, 
a lot of people these days I talk to, we are having product conversations, you know, very simple things, but, you know, just, just little notes, right? And, you know, so I think just finding that common ground and things you are common. It's really not about what the person can do for you. I think that's, you know, that's really a very small part of it. So what is the direction you want to take Shiro's towards now? Like, what have you thought as the next step in the Shiro's journey? So I think of Shiro's as, as a post-tech women's internet company. I see Shiro's as, uh, as a large network, uh, you know, maybe, you know, the goal I always say is 100 million women on this network. And what I see is that we'll definitely do more work in things that are more enabling for women. More work around workforce, more work around, uh, you know, micro-entrepreneurship, more work around maybe even microfinance, something that, you know, that we've been sort of, you know, looking at closely. So, yeah, I definitely want Shiro's to be a place on the internet that, you know, that offers them what they are looking for them, right? So whether it's, it's more money, it's identities, it's well-being, it's a peer group. Uh, you know, I, I, I dream of Shiro's, you know, as being that company. And, uh, and of course, we want to stay, we are an internet company, we are a small little startup in the, you know, at the end of the day, uh, they're just hacking their way into doing things, right? So, uh, yeah, and, and what, what I would definitely want to see more of is uh, more depth and range around things that we can offer to women via the Shiro's network. And how big is the Heroes team right now? Like your team? We're about 40, 45 people. And how did you manage the transition to remote? Uh, I mean, was it remote previously also? Or, you know, during the lockdown, did you make that transition? We have like, a, you know, we were the first ones in this country to talk about remote. Like Flexi was the first one to talk about remote work, right? Before anybody said remote work, right? But obviously, the, the challenges at that point were very different. So the uh, team at Shiro's has always been uh, 30 to 50% remote or on any given day. Uh, you know, a lot of our community team, they have always been 100% remote. Like we, we have, they, and they're based in, you know, places we don't even know, Baruch and Bapi and, you know, uh, and now we've gone 100% remote. I think uh, it's only natural that we do it. We are an internet platform. If we can't do it, then we will do it. And we run remote workforce business. I think we should walk the talk. So, yeah, so remote is, uh, we were always set up for remote. Like, you know, our attendance on Slack, it's not on a, you don't have to do a biometric check-in. And uh, what are your learnings of making a, a remote organization work? You know, because most companies, while they may offer remote employment, but I think, you know, giving like a fixed salary remote employment may not happen. They would generally be more comfortable as a freelancer. You know, maybe I hire a content writer and I pay her per word. So, you know, then it means that you're paying only if the output is there. But how do you build a company where you actually have people with regular employment, but you never see them or you may rarely see them? Like, you know, I think that's the whole thing, the remote work forces you to think about your business very deeply, right? What is the output you need to generate, right? And if that is very clear, then you should be able to run a remote organization. How does it matter where is the person sitting? Right? Like, it's always, you know, baffled me. But 
Look, I think if you want to run a seamless, dependable operation, you need a core team. You need a team that's available to you. It doesn't matter whether they come into an office or not, but, you know, are they are they delivering the work that needs to be delivered, right? You know, your tech team needs to be available. Your sales team needs to be on the job. It's pretty much like, you know, what you would do on a, you know, in a regular office environment, except that now... But do you change the way you hire so that you're able to hire people who can work remotely? Right. So I think there are two parts to it. One is in operational roles, the there is a certain, you know, certain amount of checks and balances required. So when we run the remote work business, we actually offer a certification first. You have to qualify it and only... Uh, 3,000 people out of 100,000 qualify, right? So remote work is hard, but strategic roles, right? Product roles for sales roles, you know, these are already strategic. You assume the person will have the self-driving maturity to be able to do this, right? Will be independent in their skills and their decision-making and their process and their thoughts, you know? I think clarity is what what gets challenged when you work more. Right, because you don't have the liberty to sort of like spend you know a lot of time together. You don't have the liberty to sort of explain things face to face, which means organizational clarity is being challenged. You know, team clarity is being challenged. Team, you know, uh, clarity of leadership is being challenged. And I think that's why people get uncomfortable with remote work because, uh, and it's also a culture of questioning ownership, being able to drive things on your own. Uh, Remote work requires that. If you are a typical top-down command and control organization, remote is a very hard thing to run. You know, then you have control issues. Uh, you must have made hiring mistakes where you hired someone and they kind of goofed off. Uh, you know, and, and what was your learning from that? Like, what is the way to hire someone who works well remotely? Right. So I think there are two parts to this. One is hiring mistakes in general. And I think those are, those are the most sort of expensive mistakes to make. But I think we all make those mistakes. I've made tons of them. And I think as far as I go, I think most of my mistakes have been on hiring people who look good uh, in a general context, but not very are not very apt to our context. So I think letting go of our own context was a little bit of, you know, things that I've done. But uh, hiring for remote is really... Basically, you have to up the meter on ownership, level of skill, and overall clarity, uh, you know, that a person brings to the table. You know, for somebody who can't sort of, let's say, document their thoughts clearly in a memo, is not really set up for a you know, I think these are very, very simple checks and balances. But, you know, the idea of having to push your thinking into 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 delivering output is, is a hard one. Some of the best organizations fail at doing that. Okay, cool. So, uh, before I end this podcast, one personal thanks I want to give to you. So, I uh, my other business, uh, one business is of course podcasting, which is fairly new, but my bread and butter comes from Unnati, which is a recruitment firm. Yeah. And uh, it was bootstrapped when I started off. I did not even have money for an office at that stage. And uh, my entire leadership team today has been hired through Ceros. So 
you know, we, uh, I just experimented, posted a job and uh, found a really good person who was working remotely as a recruiter. And she uh, inspired me to just scale up that way. So, you know, today we employ about 60 women who all work remotely. And uh, the entire leadership team came through zeros, but unfortunately, we can't post jobs anymore. So <laughs> now, I tell you, I got a lot of angry mails when we shut down the job board because people yeah. were like, why did you do that? And I'm like, you know, it's a call, you know. But I have to tell you, you know, I a uh, lot of people tell me this that their teams have come from zeros, and lots of founders, lots and lots of founders. When I go for some of these meetups and Lots of women also, you know, when I, even at airport, sometimes people will say, hey, I've got a job close, or I, uh, I use the helpline. And I think that number of people who sort of just found a lot of, uh, you know, uh, support like that is enormous, you know. And I think uh, that's called to us. And now even today, I think uh, a lot of this is happening on Cheetos in different contexts, the number of women who've written their books or who've set up their first business or taken online courses, who have sort of, you know, got legal advice. So, you know, we just sort of broadened our metric. But yeah, I hear this and it's good to know, you know, and that's that was the idea of sort of, you know, making internet work for women. Right? Hmm, 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 hmm. Though I, I think the market is telling you that you should continue to Run the jobs <laughs> business also <laughs> with so many people coming and thanking you. I I think that's like a fairly good data point which you should not ignore. <laughs> right. So you know what? I am happy to fund this business all over again. If an entrepreneurial person wants to run it, like I will incubate it, I will sort of seed it, you know, give you the resources. But Shiro's has grown a lot. And now, basically, I'm building Shiro's like a portfolio. There are three businesses that are live. We're incubating another two. It's a company that's being built by entrepreneurs, right? So, and I more, more and more of my role as incubating some of these. So, somebody, you know, wants to come and drive this, then we'll do it. Okay, cool. Cool. Thank you so much for giving me more time than what we had slotted. It was great talking to you and uh, I will get in touch with you soon. All right. Sounds good. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me here. Yeah. Thank you for your time, Sari. All the best. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. So that was some great advice from Sari on hustling, networking and building businesses. If you want to build an army of women to grow your business or brand, then look no further than Shiro's. Write to us at hello at the podium.in for an introduction to Sairi. If you like the Founder Thesis podcast, then do check out our other shows on subjects like marketing, technology, career advice, books, and drama. Visit the podium.in, that is T H E P O D I U M dot I N, for a complete list of all our shows. This was an HD Smartcast original. HD Smartcast. Log on to hdsmartcast.com to listen to more such podcasts.